But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as children. And because you are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a child. And if a child, then also an heir through God. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, as we've already mentioned several times, this is kind of the end of our holiday season for this year, beginning of a new year. So you might expect that uh, I've had a little time away, a little time doing some different things, and so you might think that we're just going to sort of have an easy, quiet little sermon. Maybe I'd tell you a few stories, and we'd all smile and go home. Wrong. We're going to work today. Now, one reason we're going to work so hard today is because I had this Greek teacher in, uh, at Lubbock Christian named Jim Massey. And Jim Massey just... He, he just couldn't abide holidays. To him, holidays just took away from the time that you ought to be doing the real things and the stuff that was important. So he would, uh, unlike most teachers, most of the teachers as we got a little nearer to the holidays, they would lighten up a little bit, uh, give us a little less work so we wouldn't have to spend our holidays uh, doing class work. But not Brother Massey. Brother Massey doubled and even tripled our workload. So I thought, you know, out of respect for him, because I loved him dearly, uh, I would do that for you guys today. We're going to make you work today. And to really be a tribute to Brother Massey, since he was a Greek teacher, we're going to study Greek today. Now, don't get too excited, but I know that, uh, you know, that that just sort of whets your appetite. You thought, oh boy, I love Greek. All right? So here we go. And what we're going to do today is we're going to teach you three Greek words. Now, the Greek language, and one reason we continue to study it so carefully is because, of course, you know the New Testament was written in Greek, as well as the Septuagint, which is a Greek translation of the Old Testament. And so to be able to read from the original language is of great value because Greek is a very precise language, much more so than English. And it also is a language that, that is very rich in the meanings of its words. They like to to make words out of a whole bunch of words. They'll take a whole lot of words, cram them all together, and make one word. And so if you know how to read the language, you can go in and sort of take that word apart, and you begin to understand all the meaning that's there. And then the verbs in Greek are just really rich because they were, again, very precise, uh, have a lot more uh, moods and tenses and and all of that than we do in English. And so uh, to be able to read those. So what we're going to do today is look at three words. But these are not these long words, and only one of them is a verb, and it's a very simple verb. But they're very important words. All three of these words occur in the reading that we just read, and each one of them moves us from one line of thought to another. And without them, this wouldn't really all hold together. Two of them are subordinate conjunctions, and one is a simple verb. It's a present active indicative of uh, it's singular, uh, anyway, you, you will get there, okay? It's second person singular, present active, indicative of a me. All right, you excited? I t- y'all, y'all look just, mm, okay. Here we go. First word is hina. 
Now, there's supposed to be a breathing mark and an accent there, but I couldn't figure out how to get the computer to put that in there. So that is the word hina, all right? And then the second word is hoti, all right? Got that one, hoti. Third word is a. That one's easy, right? Hina, hoti, hey. Okay, everybody say it together with me. Hina, hoti, a. All right. Now, see, you can at least go home today and say you spoke in tongues in church today. All right? Yeah, I was speaking Greek in church. Well, let's go through this passage and uh, see why these three little words are so important for our understanding of what's going on here. Paul begins by saying, but when the fullness of time had come, and right there, he basically sums up all of human history, certainly all of the Old Testament. What he's saying is this, that from the very beginning, Whenever Adam and Eve had really messed everything up by their rebellion, by their sinfulness, God had a plan. In his heart, in his mind, he knew what he was going to do. He wasn't going to just abandon us and let us go according to the way we wanted to go, and then when we died, we'd be dead, and that would be it, and it'd all be over. No, he decided he was going to come and get us back. And so this plan was already laid out in his heart, and he knew when the time would be right for him to do what he needed to do. So all of time is just a progression that God was moving through to get us to this point. For example, he called Abraham because he knew he needed a people that would remember his name, would worship him, a people that would look forward to his redemption of mankind. So he called Abraham. Then he called Moses. And through Moses, he gave us his law. He told us what was right. He told us what was wrong. He told us a structure to worship him. And so he used Moses. Then then through David, he established a kingdom that he said would last forever. And this idea of the throne of David, and that all happened because God had this plan. Even things like the Babylonian captivity, those were useful to God. He he allowed his people to be carried away into captivity because they had drifted away into uh, other gods, and they were trying to to assimilate other gods into the worship of Yahweh or to to Jehovah God. And so he let them go into captivity to get them over that idea to to totally, you know, just say, no, it's it's, it's going to be one God, and and this is the God. And and, and then he, he brought the Maccabeans. Y'all know who the Maccabeans are? That that's sort of happens on that page between your Old Testament and your New Testament. Uh, is the period of the Maccabees. And, and the Maccabees were people that purified the Jewish religion and, and kept it whenever all the world was pressuring them to Hellenize and to become Greek in their way of thinking. And, and then he used even the Roman Empire. And it was in the Roman Empire in that time that Jesus was born. And several scholars have pointed out what a perfect time that was for Jesus to be born. Because the Romans had settled things down with a heavy hand, yes, but still the world for the most part was at peace because Rome ruled the world. They had spread throughout the land a common language, the Greek language. And so people could communicate with each other much more easily. They had built transportation lines where it was safe and and fairly easy to travel throughout all the world. And so you look at the time that Jesus was born, you think, wow, it was the perfect time. God knew that. 
But when the fullness of time had come, at just the right time, as Paul says in another place, then phase two or the main phase of God's plan began. God sent his son. Now, his one and only son, his unique son, the son that was like him. And God sent him as, 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 as a representative, not of himself, but really as himself, because you can't really separate God from his son, which is another thing that was going on in the Old Testament as well. You know, in the Old Testament, we, we have sort of little hints that, that God is more complex than this one being that he presents himself as. That, that yes, there is only one God that's in the Shema, Shema Yisrael, that the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Right. But even the very name of God, God, Elohim, is a plural word. Isn't that interesting? And some people say, well, that's just an accident of language. But I don't know. I think God all along was, was kind of planting these ideas in our hearts and in our mind. And then suddenly in the New Testament, here it is. God says, you know, I am really more than just Father. I am Father, Son, and Spirit. And my son, who is really me, who is a part of me, he is coming to the earth, and through him I will be Emmanuel, God, with you. So when the time was right, when everything came together, God sent his son. He goes on to say he was born of woman. Now, that lets us know that he was just like us. How many of you were born of woman? All right, yeah, most of you. There's a few out there. I don't, well, okay, no. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that identifies it. That's everyone, isn't it? Jesus started out just like we did, that, that he, he went through the same process to become a being on this earth that we do. He is fully human, and he's, he, he experienced everything that we experience. He experienced the frustrations that we have. He experienced the joys that we have. He experienced the pain that we have. He knows what it's like to be a human being because he started out just like we did. And he also goes ahead and says, and born under the law. Now, he's, he's primarily referring to the law of Moses there, but really to the whole principle of law. Because up until this point, God was saying, here's right, here's wrong, and if you do what's right, then you can be, uh, you, you are righteous, you have a relationship with me, but if you do what is not right, if you sin against me, then that relationship is over. It's a very legalistic type relationship. Well, I have to confess to you, I hope this doesn't... Uh, destroy your image of me, but I haven't done everything that's right, you know, and everything I've done hasn't been good and right, and I think most of you fall into that same category as well. In fact, Paul later on, or in the book of Romans, well, that was later on, uh, would say, no one is righteous. No, not one. So we understand what it's like to be under law, and Jesus was born under law. So that's the setup. When the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, just like us, born of a woman and born under the law. You ready for your first Greek word? You remember what it was? Hina. There it is again. All right. Now, what does Hina mean? Hina means so that or in order to. You see, you got all this energy on one side of this thing where it says that in the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, all this energy is here. Now you got to move it from here over to here. 
And so Hina does that. It holds it together and it transfers all of this that God had done over to us. In order that he did all these things so that he would redeem those who were under the law. It took all of that. It took all of that to get me right with God again. Jesus came to buy us back. Jesus came to die in our place. You can say it in a lot of different ways. But what Paul is saying is that the very work of God and all that he had been working on all through history now comes to bear on us who have been condemned under the law, who cannot stand before God legalistically and say, I'm okay. He knows that. And so therefore, all of this has now been brought to bear to redeem those who are under the law. Then we have the word again, hina. Our English versions try to leave that out because, you know, we don't like to say the same thing twice. But it did something else. All of that energy came over here. And what else did it did? So that we might receive adoption as children. Now, we read through that and think, okay, we know about adoption. And we know what it means to adopt children. But that sentence or that phrase in this sentence has got so much meaning in it. We've already noticed that God only has one son. Uh, when John wrote about this son, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only, unique, one-of-a-kind son. We cannot become a child of God like Jesus is a child of God. If we're going to become children of God, we have to be adopted. That's right. We're just not naturally there. In fact, we're kind of unnaturally not there, aren't we? But, but if we want to be children of God, we're going to have to be adopted. Now, an interesting thing is that if you take your concordance and look up all the uses of the word adoption in the Old Testament, how many are you going to find? None. This is not a Jewish concept, this idea of adoption. Now, the Jewish people did take care of their orphans. They did take care of, of children that, that had lost family, but they didn't adopt those children. The family would take them in. The, you, know, the, the, you know those laws about how family did things whenever things went wrong and everything, but they didn't really adopt those children. And in the, the, the New Testament time, it, it really wasn't a thing that Jewish people did either. This is a very Roman concept. And so Paul pulls out something here that's very contemporary for his time when he says, you can think about this as adoption. Now, another interesting thing about this is that adoption wasn't done just to take care of orphans. In fact, you didn't just adopt a child because a child didn't have a mom and a dad. You might take that child into your house. You might help raise that child, but you didn't adopt them. Adoption was a very formal, legal ceremony you went through, and you did it for only one reason. There was only one reason that anyone ever adopted a child at the time that Paul was writing this. And that reason was that those people did not have an heir to leave their goods to. If a family had no children and they needed someone to pass on the family name, to pass on the family possessions, then they would adopt a child then and only then. And so if, if a Roman family, they could even adopt someone that had kids. I mean, that had parents. You know what I mean. Okay. It has been a holiday, folks. They could adopt someone. If, if a family, there were three or four kids in that family, they could go to the family and say, I want to adopt this child over here 
to make this child our heir. So that was the whole purpose of adoption. Well, that really opens this passage up, doesn't it? To realize that God has adopted us as children primarily because he wants to give us what he has. He wants to make us heirs of all that he is and all that he has. Let's move on to the second word quickly. Everybody remember what the second word was? No, he knows the first word, Monty. Hoti, yeah, okay, keep up. I'm sorry. <laughs> Everyone else knew, didn't you? I'm sorry, give you a hard time. Hoti, well, what does Hoti mean? Well, it says that he did all of this so he could redeem us and so he could adopt us. Hoti means, and because of that. And since this has happened, then look what else is true. Therefore, since we have been adopted, we are children. That's right. And since we are children, then God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Isn't this fascinating? You know, if, if you were to adopt a child, you would want to make that child a part of your family. You would treat that child just like you treat all your other children. And you would give them the same things that you gave your other children. You would do your best to create family. And that's what God is doing. Since he has adopted us as a child, then he wants us to be a part of the family. And to make us a part of the family, he sends the very spirit of his one and only son, his unique son, Jesus. Jesus comes to live within us through the person of his spirit, or as we also sometimes other times refer to him as the Holy Spirit. And the thing that Paul wants us to know is that what this spirit does is cry out to God as Abba. Father. Now, that's really like saying daddy, father. Abba was the term in Aramaic, really, that children use, little bitty children, is one of the first words they learn. You know, either ima, which means mama, or Abba, which means daddy. And what, what he's saying is that since you're a child now, then you have this bond with God. And it's not just a bond like, oh, yes, sir, you know, I, I know that I'm your child and, and I'll stay over here. At, but it's like, daddy. We have that close of a relationship, both with the son, our brother, and with the father. Because the real son, the natural son, if we can use that term to describe God and Jesus, the one who is the only and unique son, he now lives within us. So God has adopted us, brought us into the family, and said, you are a full-fledged member of the family now. Last word. Remember what it was? I'm not going to embarrass Monty. <laughs> a. A. And this is the word you. And this is the first time this word has occurred in this passage. Now, if you're looking at it, you go, uh-uh, Tommy, if you back up into verse 6, it says you there. But that you is plural. If Paul were a Texan, at that time he'd be saying all y'all. All y'all are children of God, all right? But now he turns and uses the singular you and points at you. And he says, you, and you, and you. He wants us to realize that this really works on an individual basis. That this isn't something that just is kind of out there and it's abstract. This is for you. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a child. 
You're not someone who just is a nothing person who just is there, but you're a child. You're a part of the family of God. And since you are a child, then also you are an heir through God. That God is just waiting to be able to give you all of his blessings, all that he has as a part of his family. Both of my parents have passed away, and I've received the inheritance that they left for me. Now, when I think of the inheritance my folks left for me, I don't just think of the bank account and the things, you know, although those have been great blessings to our lives. But I think of the care that they took of me, the health that they gave me, the emotional support that they gave me, the spiritual direction that they gave me. And that inheritance has made me who I am and really makes me want to continue on and to be able to pass inheritance to my children as well. And But when we think about inheritances that we've received from our earthly families, those pale in comparison to what it is that God has prepared to give to us. Look at what he did. He went through all of this so that Hina, you could become a child. And because you are a child, you have the Spirit of God within you. And you are a child. You are an heir. Let's stand and sing.